Good morning, this is Matt from Made From Scratch, and today I've got an interview coming up with Lewis Bird, who's the founder of a cultural consulting and branding agency called Melly Blue, and uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what, uh, what, what that means exactly to be a cultural consultant in this day and age, and um, touch a little bit on diversity and inclusion and where some people get it right, some people get it wrong, <clears throat> and talk about what it is to brand companies, um, especially who have a very cross-cultural, multicultural um, environment and employees and staff kind of, uh, kind of situation, and, and talk about Lewis's concept of cultural intelligence and what it means to raise a person or a company's overall cultural intelligence. So if you're interested in diversity, inclusion, or culture in general, especially as it pertains to branding and companies, stay tuned later for my interview with Lewis Bird from Melly Blue. Lewis hey, Bird here. Hey, what's up, Lewis? Hey, how's it going, Matt? It's going very well. Welcome to Made from Scratch. Hey, I appreciate it. Can you hear me okay? I can hear uh, you perfectly. Yeah, I can hear you perfectly well, and I'm outside too. So, for anyone listening in the future, we apologize in advance for any obnoxious sounds in the background. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, I would love to have you just start out and give a little brief about your company and what your focus is, and then we can jump right into a quick discussion about um, about all that. Excellent. Uh, well, my company is called Melly Blue Branding, which is a cross-cultural strategic branding agency. Um, and we focus on, as the name implies, uh, cross-cultural uh, strategic branding, but specifically with engineering and technology companies. Um, and all that encompasses is we help them understand uh, two main things, how to align their brand with their day-to-day -day operations of their business, and then how to incorporate and infuse this idea of culture um, inside of that process and, and make it more of an inclusive type of workplace and just brand experience for their organization. Okay, awesome. And so, you know, that's a pretty high-level concept. What, what, what led you there? How did you come up with this? And, um, you know, what's the journey been like in developing Melly Blue as a, as a culturally focused branding agency? Yeah, uh, well, what, what led me there was uh, primarily two main things. Uh, when I first started the company seven years ago, I was working with a lot of advertising agencies here in town in Kansas City, Missouri. And what would always happen was many of these agencies will only call us to work on the quote-unquote urban campaigns, which is, you know, uh, basically symbolic of the black organ or the black community when it comes to branding and, and advertising, things of that nature. And at first I was very apprehensive about it. I didn't like it because I really felt like we had a much broader capacity for the work that we can do, but that mm -hmm. was all that, that people would call us for. So over time, I, I eventually t started to take ownership of it, and was like, okay, fine. If if this is where our quote unquote agency partners keep putting us in this box, well, you know, we're going to own that space. And for a couple of years, we were one of the the top multicultural agencies here in Kansas City. Um, but after doing that for a while, I'm starting to realize that one, the budgets that were allowed to us was literally like a fraction of what other agency partners were getting uh, paid. And then two, the, just looking at the dynamics of how the world 
as a whole is changing, I started to see that this this concept of multicultural or being so siloed on a specific group uh, is no longer as effective as it could and should be at the time. So I really started to focus on cross-cultural psychology, which basically means that what you do is you look at, um, instead of the differentiating factors between different groups of people, you look for the commonalities. And mm. that's what we started to focus on, was what is this commonality between different groups of people? And then really start looking at it on a global stage. Now, how we got into engineering and tech is because my background, um, I have an undergraduate degree in electrical engineering with a math minor. Uh, I have a ton of friends that are still uh, engineers working out in, in various aspects of the industry between engineering and tech and just hearing their stories about their corporate experience. Uh, most of my friends um, that I'm talking about are, are black or women and hearing about their experience working in uh, different companies throughout the, the industry, I'm like, there has to be a way to solve this problem um, mm. that, that's more efficient than what many of the diversity practitioners are doing and what these companies are doing. So I really felt like one of the most powerful ways that you can really change a company culture is by leveraging its brand because the brand is the DNA of an organization. And if you can really infuse something there, then you can make that reach throughout every aspect of the enterprise. Okay. So you said a lot of very interesting things there. And one, one aspect I wanted to see if you could um, touch on a little bit more because diversity and inclusion practitioners, like you called them, um, seem to be kind of popping up out of the woodwork at m most major corporations seem to hire someone with that kind of a title. And, um, you know, whether or not that works is one question, but you said that you're looking for something that was more efficient. Can you talk for a minute about what you notice the inefficiencies are of most people that consider themselves a diversity practitioner? Gotcha. Um, well, you know, to be honest with you, it's, it's not necessarily the inefficiencies of the person per se, as much as it is the, the inefficiencies of the systems in which they work. So what I'm saying is basically a lot of times what I notice is that, um, as you mentioned, companies will hire a chief diversity officer to come in and facilitate their diversity initiatives and things like that. But what tends to often happen is that that person is limited to, to what they can actually do in the organization. Either they are um, they're hired on and they're, they're solely focused on diversity initiatives and it's viewed as something that's separate from the rest of the business. It's kind of like an annex portion of what they're trying to do mm. or they're, they have a very limited power in the sense of what they can truly do to help shift the company culture. And, and what you often see is that they'll do certain initiatives like they'll start implementing in, um, multicultural food days or, or, or <laughs> during Black History Month, they'll bring in uh, certain keynote speakers or through, through, during Women's History Month, certain keynote speakers to come in. Or you'll see uh, them trying to leverage employee resource groups, but even still, it just kind of comes back to um, potlucks and, and little community service endeavors, but nothing that actually ties to the day-to-day -day function of the business. And 
because of that, you know, from the, the corporate standpoint, that's where they're limited at. Now, when we look at diversity and practitioners that are more so like consultants or people that are third parties that are hired in, they more often than not preach the same type of gospel. Okay, we have to do unconscious bias training, um, and which becomes kind of like a mandated thing, and, and anything that's mandated, you know, people are very apprehensive to want to to take on. So, you know, it, it's just a lot of the same types of solutions, but we're not seeing any change in those solutions. So that's why I say, you know, there's, there has to be a more efficient or better way to go about making change in, in companies. Now, would you say, you know, um, so you come in as a consultant, uh, like you're saying, to integrate with the operations, and when someone's brought in as a staff employee, a you know, in the C-suite, right, a chief diversity mm-hmm. officer, do you think that part of the problem is that they end up, a, like, they, they literally are a part of the culture that may be a problem, as opposed to having an outside view to be to be more objective? It's like they're they're injected to toe some kind of company line that might already be flawed in some way. Right. I think uh, I, I think that that comes to a, to a, down to the individual basis, right? I've worked with some diversity officers that were great, and they was just. You know, by the nature of the work that we do at Melly Blue, we do end up sometimes working with people in HR and sometimes diversity uh, officers end up coming in on that process as well. And some of them I work with have been phenomenal in the sense that they've been open to change and they recognize what we're trying to do and they're all about it. They're they're ready to push it. But then there's others that are very, um, I won't say standoffish, but they're, they're not as embracing of the process because... Uh, if I had to be honest with you, some diversity people rub me as they do just enough to make their job relevant, but not enough to fully make their job to where they can retire. You see what mm. I'm saying? Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh, mm. And, and and because of that, that it, it really comes down to an individual basis at that point. So so I can't say it's it's all or nothing. It really comes down to that individual and individual in the sense of the company as well. Right. So when you're talking about, um, it sounds like you sort of tease out what a company, what a company stands for or is all about or could be in the future and getting, getting that communication out there, um, by bringing together these people from different places, as opposed to, um, sort of fixating on, the differences or even the similarities. It's it's almost like, hey, we've got a common goal here. It doesn't matter where you're from. This this business needs to get communicated. Um, do, you, do you think that's maybe where you've seen your success or is, is that something that differentiates you from other people in your sort of uh, segment of, of this part of the market? Yeah, definitely, because um, at the end of the day, we're we're strategists and uh, creatives, and we're focused on the betterment of the business as a whole. So it's not about um, – how can I put this? So, so, yeah, we're focused on the betterment of the business as a whole as opposed to uh, certain groups having favor or, or just different things like that. It's all about what is that common goal that we're trying to achieve as a company and how can we make sure that our entire workforce, our stakeholders, uh, our strategic partners, everybody understands what we're trying to do 
and we can communicate that effectively to everybody, regardless of where they're at in, in our um, company. If that's um, on the, the gender basis or race or geographical, all those just different things. That's, that's the point of the culture aspect. Got it. So could you talk for a minute about um, what, what it's like to increase somebody's cultural intelligence or their cultural quotient, whatever you want to call that, um, and some of the challenges maybe you've, you've faced on an individual basis? Um, and, and if you have any success stories you could share, obviously maybe not uh, specific people or companies, but taking someone who might have had an ignorant view or a, a barrier to working that then they, they gained some new knowledge or experience that, that altered their perception and, and made a difference in the, in the company overall. Gotcha. Um, well, one of the, the, the key barriers is first getting people on board of this concept. Now it's, it's not necessarily a new concept per se. Um, it's nothing that we is proprietary that we made up, but there is always that barrier of how does why is this culture aspect important to to our business? Now, some people, you know, a lot of companies talk about company culture and culture fit and all that stuff, but about nine times out of ten, it is total BS because they don't really leverage what that truly means. So, so to get people in line to understand how their brand. It's a very it's not a function of marketing. Branding isn't marketing or advertising, but it's actually a part of your business. That's one barrier first and foremost. And then us coming in talking about the importance of culture and how it's gonna help you do more business globally, that creates another barrier because sometimes people don't see it. So um the challenge with that is is trying to get people to understand that and how we do that is we use numbers. We show them the st- statistics. We show them the data. We show them their market and, and how many people are using their products or how many people that they're alienating because they don't understand uh, some of this cultural aspect and how their workforce is not as dynamic because of them not understanding um, understanding the, the aspects of how to empower their brand for the betterment of their organization. So that's how we typically combat it from that standpoint. As far as success stories, we work with one uh, one of the largest general contractors uh, in the U.S. and help them increase their um, in the field inclusion by almost uh, 20% because of just doing a few things better, better communicating with people, creating, helping them establish a stronger program that reaches out to diverse uh, subcontractors and how to bring them into the fold. And they're starting to see, um, in just, what was it, about um, four to five months, they saw a huge increase uh, in, in that relationship with their, their quote-unquote minority subcontractors. Um, so that was just one of our success stories, and it and it literally it's not like rocket science stuff here. It's just literally understanding how to better communicate with different groups and being being a little bit more empathetic uh, to certain situations and understanding how it all comes back to your business and your business goals. Right. Okay. Well, so that's interesting too because it seems like you're focused a little bit more on what you might say is like a colder or 
a bottom line kind of approach as opposed to like you should be more diverse and inclusive because it's it's mean to not be or it's, uh, you know that kind of which is the kind of attitude I hear from a lot of um, people in those CDO kind of seats, which I think is, is a really interesting um, differentiator for you. And you also, um, you say a lot about people's understanding. So do you think that it really is mostly that people that just don't understand versus what, you know, you, you mentioned unconscious bias training. So there's people who believe that there's so many racist, misogynist, homophobic, you know, type of people out there. And what you're saying, or what I hear you saying anyway, is that it, more often than not, it's people that just don't get it. And it's not that they have a unconscious hatred towards a certain group. They just don't understand those, you know, people from that place or with this belief or that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, well two things. Uh, to pick up on, on that note, we all have bias, right? Um, and more often than not, people display their bias or they or they act out on their bias um simply because it is you know it is a very unconscious or implicit type of reaction and uh, oftentimes it's not because they're trying to be uh deliberate um now don't get me wrong there are some people out there that that truly are deliberate in nature like that uh but from my experience most people aren't deliberately seeking out to be malice towards certain uh people or different groups of people uh, but because of, um, I mean, there's plenty of research that shows that the way that our brain develops, it all comes back to our background. And, and when, I'm, when I say background, the experience of our life, how was, how was we raised, who was, um, you know, our direct uh, parents, uh, our community, our schools, all these things kind of tie into our, our outlook on life. And sometimes that exhibits into some of the decisions that we make. Now, that basically what I just summed up is unconscious bias. Um, so what I'm saying is that more often than not, people aren't deliberately trying to do things, but it just happens. So mm. our job, part of our job is to shine the quote-unquote proverbial flashlight on a situation and say, look, this is, this is where you're kind of missing something or this is, this is, the situation that's taken place, and this is how you can change. Now, with that being said, um, kind of going back to you mentioned we take more of a cold approach approach versus the very warm and fluffy. I, I, I love the warm and fluffy, but at the <laughs> end of the day, when we're talking about business, business is as warm and fluffy as it is, that is kind of like a, a very surface-level, top-level type of, of thing. It's kind of like the end product, the cherry on top. Mm. And it's guts, you know, it's it's a very cold, you know, we're talking about numbers, we're talking about uh, profits, revenues, and all these just different things. And if you can't at best tie those two worlds together, then you're missing the opportunity, both on the warm and fluffy side, if, if all you're talking about is, you know, diversity is the right thing to do because it's it, it's fair, well, you're going to miss a huge opportunity there because just because it's fair in that sense doesn't mean it's necessarily fair for the business. And then on the opposite mm. side, if you are, you know, just all about the numbers and and you're alienating people because um, of some quote-unquote bias that you may have um, or even a systemic type of bias that may be prevalent in your organization, then again, you're you're missing the point there. So, 
it's, it's honestly, as far as my outlook on it and the outlook of Melly Blue, it truly is a fine line of, of walking that line between being um, doing what's right in general and then doing what's right for the business. And you have to be able to do both at the end of the day. Right, right. And, you know, the other thing, and this is um, maybe a, a larger question than just uh, branding and, and um, this element of the business, but so when you talk about the understanding, it's like, okay, if you've got someone who's from a very specific, uh, you know, regional, racial, religious uh, background um, on, on this one side, and you've got someone else who's from a very different group over here, it sounds like what you're approach is, is let's get each of these people to understand the other person's uh, background, find some kind of commonality so that they don't appear to be an alien or like a non-human, like you get you're on the same page. But um, it seems like that in some of these cases with people not having your kind of approach are starting to like dilute or disappear the cultural history or heritage or... Um, that which does make like there is a difference between Chinese culture and uh, Saudi Arabian culture. There is a difference between mm -hmm. Egyptian culture and Spanish culture. And um, like, do you do you see a threat or a danger to people losing some aspect of their of their past or their what what does make them unique um, from a cultural perspective? If we are in a society that's pushing this like everyone's basically the same without acknowledging some of these inherent differences which aren't necessarily good or bad they just are they're just different yeah yeah i i don't know if i would say threat as much as uh i would say missed opportunity um okay so for example you, you mentioned some of the different cultures um one aspect would be let's say Imagine this. Imagine a, a person who's highly qualified for a job, um, and in the interview process, one of the questions may be, okay, um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, what are you doing in your, in your spare time, or, or, you know, what about your, tell me a little bit about your family. Now, technically, you know, um, HR people or hiring managers aren't necessarily supposed to ask those kind of questions, but it mm -hmm. happens, and and, you know, people, the idea is to create the conversation. But what happens is subconsciously, you know, some people may hear certain information. So, for example, let's say there's a a person, um, you know, an engineer that's coming in from um, Brazil, let's say Brazil, uh, somewhere like that, and they came to the United States uh, for a job, and they're a very talented engineer, and they're they're in this interview and they're talking about the they're having this conversation. They mention, okay, well, you know, I have a very strong family connection, and uh, you know, I'm here to help provide for my family. Well, mm -hmm. some people may hear that and see, okay, well, this person's not going to be as committed to the job um, as somebody else. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, the reality is that person might actually be more committed because what what you see a lot of times is people from other cultures uh, geographically and from other cultures, a lot of people do come to the United States or to other types of Western cultures to work and to, to make money and send back home to their family to support their family. And they work their ass off. But mm. 
you know, some people here may hear that and, and may turn that person down thinking that they're not a good fit for the quote unquote company culture because mm. they won't, because they're so in, involved in their family. And that's just an example of how there's a missed opportunity if you don't understand culture, because if you truly didn't understand culture, you will, you will realize that more than likely this person is going to be one of my hardest workers mm. and yeah, they care about their family, but I know that they're here doing it because they have a goal to help support their family. So they're going to work okay. even harder. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense because you might think if a person who's American uh, by nationality, if they were to say the same thing, maybe that would lead you to believe this person's clocking out at 5 o'clock versus the person from another culture who's come here for an opportunity. If they say the same thing, they might clock out at 10 o'clock PM because they, they need to work um, in their mind to provide for those people who are back home or something. And that you, if you don't understand the distinction, you could hear the same thing from two different people and, and get a different part of their attitude or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. So we, we look at scenarios like that all the time, or you look at um, um, just, just other situations like, you know, here in the United States, um, when winter months roll around Christmas and New Year's, we typically take off. So then the question is when Chinese uh, New Year rolls around and a, a Chinese um, employee decides they want to take off, how, how are they viewed? You know what I'm saying? So mm. that cultural mm. aspect. So our, our Ramadan, when that rolls around and, and everybody's having potlucks around that time and you have a, a, a Muslim uh, employee that, you know, doesn't, want to participate is he going to be viewed as is he or she going to be viewed as somebody that's not a part of the team or they're mm. showing a, a a bad attitude uh because they don't want to participate in the silly company potluck because <laughs> of their religious affiliation and they can't you know participate so right so again these are these are some of the cultural cues and cultural things that's important um that you have to recognize another thing is you know, here in the United States, we, we typically like to say business is business regardless of where you go. Uh, that's not true because, you know, somebody in Asia, they may have – their culture is totally different. And the way they approach doing business, it's all about trust and, and taking the time to get to know the person and just different things like that versus we talk about that here. But a lot of times if you, you know – if you have a good product and, and and if you can show the value of it, companies they'll sign up with you in a heartbeat. And there's more right, of a, right. uh, you, you see what I'm saying? But yeah. but in other cultures it can take a lot more longer time. So culturally, do you understand that as a business and how mm-hmm. that impacts your business? You see what I'm saying? So it's it's very important in that aspect. Yeah, so that's a lot of that's a great, great point. And I think the the last sort of subject I'd like to touch with you before we uh, sign off today. And I'm not going to get too particular into specific people or cases or uh, Mm -hmm. whatever. But, you know, right now, I think one of the biggest cultural divides that seems to be going on in American society is the political spectrum. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so have you yet faced, um, given that we're sort of like newly awake to this divide or difference um, or do you have any kind of indication as to what it's going to take for companies to um, get to a place where you may have a political difference with your 
um, staff or your boss or your whatever, um, but being able to get down to like, here we have a common goal or, you know, like, what do you see the future of, of bridging that gap look like in the, in the business world? Honestly, I think in order for us to truly move forward with, you know, we're talking about politics or it can be race or anything, I believe that we have to not be afraid to talk about these things in the workplace first and foremost and not be afraid to have differences. As long as you can have those differences in a respectful type of manner, uh, I don't see the problem of having these types of conversations in the workplace and, and understanding that because um, we, in America at least, there's so many things that we view as taboo, you know, when it comes mm. to certain conversations that you have in the workplace. And because of that, those those same conversations, they take place in the workplace, but they take place in the break room and mm. you hear office room gossip and then there's people looking at people with a side eye and funny looking at, you know, all mm-hmm. these different things. Instead of them creating a space um, or either a space or a company culture where you can have difference, you can have a Republican, like a, a staunch conservative Republican, have a conversation with the most liberal Democrat out, out, out there, you know, and mm-hmm. you can do it in a respectful way because at the end of the day, yeah, we might have a difference, but in in the instance of this environment where we're in, our common goal is how do we do our job effectively, and that and that shouldn't necessarily get in the way of um, our our different views shouldn't get in the way of a goal that we set as a company. But I do believe that some companies are starting to lean towards that to have these more open dialogues in the workplace and talk about it. Um, it's going to be a matter of time before more companies embrace that, that, that concept and it truly becomes an authentic uh, part of the, of the work, of the work uh, life balance or whatnot. Mm. But I, I don't know if I answered your question. I, I, I personally see that it's not a bad thing. I just think that we need to have more of these conversations and, and not be afraid. Basically, we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable with each other. That's how we yeah. move forward. Yeah. Okay. No, that definitely answers the question. I think it's um, the, the, you know, there could have been a lot of ways to approach it. And what you're saying is that we need to be able to have conversations as opposed to people siding politically in their business environment, because, you know, while business and politics certainly intermingle, for the most part, for most people in their job, um, they're not a, you know, political, um, they don't have political power. They've got a view and an opinion, mm-hmm. but in, at the end of the day, what they do together in this situation at their company or whatever is, is usually entirely different, um, business or work than the things that they might feel strongly about on a, on a political spectrum. And those individuals don't individually, it's not like they're in Congress. It's like these, these people will go out and vote for who they want to vote for and, um, you know, I think opening up the dialogue and having a little bit more um, uh, understanding of, like, I disagree with this person's overall perspective on issue A, I get why they think that, and I'm not out to change their mind. We have to get that, you know, that project done by Friday. Let's go do that, you know? Right, right, exactly. So, 
so if you could um, give us sort of like a note to end on, um, you know, and sort of wrap up for the folks who've, who've managed to listen to this whole uh, dialogue, which I, I really appreciate your time for, what would you say no problem. Um, to sort of like, you know, pull, pull a string on the box uh, of this conversation and, and sort of leave people with a, with, with a thought? Um, I would say my the, the last thing I said, um, we have to get to a point to where we are comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, and that goes for the conversations that take place in, in the workplace. That goes for the systemic changes that companies are trying to do um, in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion and uh, even on the innovation uh, standpoint. We have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's, that is the only way that we're going to be able to change because the reality is, you know, in order for us to change the situation, one has to, to say, first see it for what it is. And, and the best way to see it for what it is is by having these conversations and being uncomfortable with it and being happy with being uncomfortable. So that's how you get to change. Got it. Just jump off the cliff. Let's do it together. Do it together. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lewis. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It was an awesome conversation, and um, uh, we'd love to have you back on the, the podcast sometime in the future, too. Hey, I appreciate it, Matt. Take care. All right. Bye.